Welcome back to the Expository Word Podcast, where we are listening to classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. We are currently in a series from the book of 2 Samuel. We trust you will enjoy today's message as an encouragement to your faith. Let's listen now to Kimber. I mentioned in one of the services this morning, I'm not sure which one, that we should finish 2 Samuel by the last Sunday in November, which would then give us Christmas messages for Christmas for December, Marriage and the Family Month messages, and don't forget to start praying for Marriage and the Family Month coming up. Everything in the month of January has always been for a tradition at our church to focus on marriage and the family. Uh, that'll be a series of topical messages, uh, expositional and based, but topical in nature. Um, and then we're going to start either the book of Titus or the book of Acts in February, and I'm really excited about either one of those. I'm very excited. So I'm we can no longer be called Old Testament legalist people. We'll actually, after three years of Sunday morning preaching in the Old Testament, we'll actually move to the New Testament. So I'm excited about that. But in the 19th chapter of 2 Samuel, you've got to remember what happens. David is in Mahanaim. In fact, you can remember where that is. Over here, outside of Israel. Absalom is dead. David is grieving. Joab, who killed him, David's close friend, disobeying his orders, comes and rebukes David and says, hey pal, wake up. Wake up. Don't you understand what you were doing? You crazy nut. You you were for those that were against you. David does speak to the men. We're not sure what happens. And then he announces, he hears there's a rumor going all around Israel. How come we don't have David back? He was the guy that really led us in victory over the Philistines. We're without any defense right now. So David asked the men of Judah to help. They respond. And what you're going to see in the future next week is the men of Israel get mad at the men of Judah because the men of Judah basically bring them over and they think that, as in the book of Judges, there's all this tension always between the north and the south. It's going to lead to the split when Rehoboam and Jeroboam become king um, in about 45 years later. Now, the rest of the story is that after they bring them, they come back to this pass, and as they're crossing over, if you can remember, you get some very interesting characters. The first guy to show up on the scene is who? Shimei. You pronounce that better than I do. That's good. Shimei. And Shimei, who was that guy? The, the mad, cursing man. And he's there and he falls at David's feet and asks for forgiveness. And then who comes next? Ziba. He comes next. And Ziba was the guy that we find out as the chapter develops lied to David and tried to make Mephibosheth look bad. And then, of course, you have Mephibosheth. And then Barzella. Now, you take all of those guys together and you, and you see really the chapter was full of about 10 or 12 guys. Really, Absalom is included, Ahithophel is included, Abishai is included, Amasa is included. And you just got all these people coming from different directions. And we talked about the fact that this is about relationships. And we mentioned, by way of application, that God is sovereign in wisdom, allows different people to come into your lives for different reasons and at different times. And one relational situation after another is what this chapter is about. Most of them are tough. I want you to know God is interested in you being good at interpersonal relationships. It is not right for a Christian to not know how to get along with people. You are, to be a, you are to be gracious and loving and kind. This is a big part of the New Testament Christianity. And you see David being extremely careful and, and, and how he deals with people. And what a chapter. It's one relationship, an awkward situation, but two things, righteousness and faith. God wants you to be right with people, and God wants your faith to develop and to see people not as disappointments, but as His appointments. They want to see situations not as aggravations, but as assignments. This is what it means to live by faith. A man said to me 
Steve said to me coming in tonight, he says, man, you could preach this in the corporate world. This is going on all of the time. And it is so true. And the fact is that we are constantly, in every situation, there is tension between in-laws and outlaws and, and relatives and all kinds of things. There's always some kind of tension going on. Can I tell you, don't blow that off. Don't say, ah, I'm just going to give up on that person. Don't have that attitude. Learn to be righteous and godly in even the most difficult and embarrassing of situations. It's something that really isn't necessary. And then we consider that how fickle man is. Man is unlike God. He is fickle and trustworthy. And we saw how Jesus saw that. And is this chapter any different than today? And we had the famous song that is that many different Christian uh, record companies have contacted me this afternoon wanted me to record that song, uh, Great is Thy Fickleness. But I told him I'm a pastor and I won't do it. So uh, I want you to see that. We also looked then at emotions. And we saw that emotions have their place, but they're not to rule us. David was emotional to a fault. Jesus Christ, under a tremendous pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane, wept and cried, but still committed himself to the will of God. And no matter how frustrated someone gets you, no matter how difficult or how much pressure you're on, God's Word says you are able to obey. You are able to continue on. And so please understand this place of emotions. It, it is interesting that there's really a good side. Think of men like David, very emotional. Think of a guy like Paul, very emotional. Think of a guy like Peter, very emotional. Now, I'm sure there were men in the Bible that weren't, but a lot of the characters in the Bible, you understand they're, they're deeply emotional in their personality. Well, that can be used greatly for God. But at the same time, I want you to see that if our emotions rule us, that, that, then it's wrong. And for instance, David weeping over Absalom, it was wrong. He was letting his emotions lead him over what he knew to be true in God's Word. And we've got to keep that before us. And I think the example of Jesus in Gethsemane is so classic and so perfect to compare David with the son of David. Now, this leads us into what we're going to study concerning communion tonight also, my friends. This has been one of my application points about every third chapter all the way through Judges and First and Second Samuel. But forgive me for that, but at the same time, please know that that's how crucial it is. And that is, we can ask ourselves by way of application, do you treat people in a way that reflects in even a slight degree how God has treated you? Now stop and think about this. Do you know one of the reasons why I think David had some mercy on Shimei is this. Shimei falls at his feet and says, I have sinned. Do those three words sound familiar? I have sinned? If you go back to the 11th chapter when Nathan confronted David, what did David say? I have sinned. And I think maybe there was a reminder there. David said, I remember the horror when Nathan came at me and said, you were the man. And I was so terrified against Uriah and adultery. And when, David, when Nathan approached me and said, you were me, I just fell down and said, I have sinned. Well, here is now Shimei coming to David and saying, Please forgive me. And you think, what a crud. I mean, what a brown-nosed crud. That's sort of what you think as you think of Shimei. But you know what? Listen, you know what David could say? David could say, wait a minute. I know what it's like to be a crud. I know what it's like to be a rotten person. I have received grace. And God has been so good to me. And because He has been so good to me, therefore, I want to pass this on to, to others. And so you see him dealing with even Ziba and Mephibosheth and others. You see him dealing with tremendous compassion. Now, friends, that is so very important because look at what the Scriptures say. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, there's another angle. Another angle to come at this is we are merciful to reflect how God has treated us, but also if you want to receive mercy, you'll be merciful. Now, think about this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the measure of judgment that you use in your evaluation of people is the same judgment that God's going to use on you on the great day. Now, just think, those of you that love to find flaws in someone else, those of you that love to pick out weaknesses and talk about them and exploit them and, and just love to talk bad about people, 
Can I tell you that the very words and the very methods and the very standard that you use to be judgmental towards others is going to be the standard God's going to use to judge you on the great day? I'm now talking to Christians. I'm not talking about being whether or not your sins get you. I'm not talking about being judged for, for your sins as far as our justification is secure in Christ. But I mean, in the great day of judgment, Matthew 7 teaches the measure you use will be the measure that God's going to put out on you. And so we ought to be gracious people coming at it from looking at how God has dealt with us, coming at it as, as realizing that it's a way for us to receive more mercy and also for in understanding how we deal with others. In fact, look at this verse. This verse says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that really reflects something, especially as we get ready to take communion. And we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. We cannot get past this. We have got to reflect in some way compassion and mercy and kindness and long-suffering and patience because that's how God has treated us. Hasn't He treated you that way? This, my friends, is a test. This is a big test. Do you want to know whether your heart has truly been born again? Do you want to understand if you've really been regenerate? Well, stop and ask yourself this question. Do you have mercy on others? Are you patient with other people? Are you long-suffering? Do you overlook their faults? Are you quick to just grab down and point them out and just, and, and just be all over them? The reason I say, friends, is this. Because the, an unregenerate heart will never understand this. Especially this part. There are people, I, I heard, I heard, uh, I've heard stories where, you've, you've heard the stories about the two 75-year-old sisters that they find, and they've divided the house down the line. There's a line down the center of their house. And, this, and the 75, they found out the 75-year-old sisters, they had a fight when they were 35 years old, and for 40 years they've never spoken a word and they've lived in the same house. I hear situations where people that are under the name of Christ haven't talked to each other for years. The first church that I went to in, in, in Pyle, there had been a fist fight between the two of the deacons about three months before I got there, and there were people the whole time I was there, they refused to talk to one another, and yet they claimed to be such godly Christians. It can't be. You can't hold grudges. Now, I will tell you, if you know the Bible very well, you've got a little problem. You say, Pastor Kaufman, wait a minute. Didn't David sort of remember what Shimei did? He did. When you go to 1 Kings 2, and some of you ask me, will you continue in 1 Kings? I said, I really need to get out of the Old Testament for a while. I love the Old Testament, but I need a break. We're going to go to the New Testament. We'll go back later. But to finish up David's life, you would go to 1 Kings. You know what David says on his deathbed to Solomon? On his deathbed, David says, hey, remember Shimei. He goes, get him. I promised that I wouldn't hurt him, but that promise doesn't apply to you. Get him. That's what he said. And all I can say, you say, Kim, how do you defend that? All I can say is, David is fickle. All right? That's how you defend it. He's fickle. All right? Don't be like that. Now, look, I want to show you this. This is a chart that Rich got through the mail, and it's a David Needham chart, but I think this will help explain what we're talking about and dealing this way. God gives himself to me. He loves me. I receive his self-giving. I give myself to him. I love him. I also continue to receive his self-giving. We receive the gracious mercy, the, the abundant river of God's grace, as Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 1. This, this wonderful grace that is greater than our sin, and where sin does abound, his grace does much more abound. And that is flooded into our hearts. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And so in the area of salvation, through the cross of Jesus Christ, we receive this love that we did not know before. This wonderful, gracious love of God. Now look here, God continues to give himself to me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, David writes. And certainly we see David being so fickle. Do you remember the New York Stock Exchange of his life? David is so fickle, God continues to give his mercy and grace to David. Does he not? 
Now look here. God, God continues to give Himself to me. He loves me continually. I give myself to others. I love them. Now, I think this is so interesting because the Bible just screams. It screams from one end to the other. If you really do love God, you will love others. There is such a critical attitude today in so many churches towards so many people that unless you dot your I and cross the T just exactly the same way they do it, you're wrong. And you think, well, he's talking about some legalistic fundamentalists, aren't you? No, I'm not. That's just one group. Everybody's guilty. I've seen the churches that are strong into God's sovereignty just look down their nose on people that don't quite understand it. I've seen people that disagree with God's sovereignty look down their nose on people who don't understand the free will of man. People that they get at their church, they get slain in the Spirit. They look down if you don't have this thing. And they're just in every attitude. It, 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 we're so corruptible. We're so easily corruptible. We're so easily to think we're so superior to everybody else. And my friends, this really, what is the mark of the Christian? Love. By this shall all men know you are my disciples by your love one for another. And so the question to ask as you see this is do you treat others in a way that reflects to you in some slight degree how God has treated you? Now the reason I say that is if you go through this chapter, in every one of these cases you see David being unbelievably gracious. And I know I've just said that and said that and said that and you're probably tired of me saying it, but God, I'm going to tell you we need to not stop forgetting it. And I will tell you this, quite honestly, I've been tested in the last year. How many of you know it's a joke between me and the staff members that I talk about Matthew 18, 21 through 35, all of the time where Peter says to Christ, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. And the Lord says, no, 70 times seven. And then he gives the illustration of the guy that owed $11 million and $15. How many of you heard me say that? Is there anybody in this room that has never heard me say that? Okay. Well, God bless you if you've never heard me say that. Okay. You obviously don't come to this church very much. But I will tell you this, I will tell you this, do you know that it's those very things, as much as I have preached that, as much as I've insisted on it, can I tell you it's those very things in my own life, those very things in my own life that I realize that God puts me to the test and I continually see I'm falling short on. We've got to keep reminding ourselves and provoking each other to love and good works. Two other things we talked about quickly. And we'll finish this up, and then I'm going to close by, by going back to that fourth point. But a godly man has deep relationships both ways. I, I, I mean this, friends. There will be a relationship, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, there's a parallel. Did you hear me? There's a parallel. If you have a deep relationship with God, I guarantee it, mark it down, you will have deep relationships with people. Now listen, if you don't have a deep relationship with God, you won't have deep relationships with people. And there is, in David's life, sort of surveying this whole thing that we've studied for the last couple of years, is this. David has men like Saul, Ahithophel, and Absalom in his life, but David also has Jonathan's and Mephibosheth's and Barzillai's. These guys love David. They'll give anything to David. They'll do anything for him. And look at the love between Jonathan and David. Look at the, the dedication of Mephibosheth. Look at Barzillai. And here on all different levels, you can see that there's going to be that kind of relationship. And I just think it's important to know, the Bible says, love one another deeply. And there really needs to be a, a, a growing righteousness in our relationship with other people. Not a stalemate. Jesus Christ is the same, the Son of David, the same thing could be said about Him. You're going to have enemies when you follow Jesus Christ, and you're also going to have many close friends. Hopefully we're included on this side. One last thing, and I've been wanting to say this for many different ways, it's never been a point big enough to make, but I just think it's interesting that David made a decision 
about the property and gave it all to Ziba by only listening to Ziba's side of the story. And I want you all to know, you make a big mistake. Look what, look what the Bible says in Proverbs. Are you ready? The Bible says this, He who answers before listening, that is folly and shame. Look at this. Verse 17 says, The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. Now the point here, friends, is that if you do this, David only did this. Look, and I wonder if Solomon was thinking about Ziba and Mephibosheth when he wrote this. Do you think he might have been? Could be. Because the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. Ziba seemed right. He presented the case to David. David was getting run out. Everybody was betraying him. Ahithophel was betraying him. And what does Ziba say? Ziba says, Mephibosheth's betraying you. And that, hurt, that definitely hurt David. And so we need to be very careful to listen to both sides of the story. And there are, you know what? There are Christians that, are, that have caused big trouble because they've only listened to one side of the story in regards to divorces or in regards to business conflicts or something. Be the wise person that Proverbs calls us to be. Listen to both sides of the story. There have been times, honestly, in my office when I've listened to somebody and I've been so infuriated at the husband, I just felt like I'd like to pound that guy into the ground. Only then to talk to the husband and realize, whoa, there is a different side to this story that I didn't understand. And so it is true, and we need to learn that. It's just a small little application from that, from that text. Now, I, I just want us to go back to this and ask this. Tonight, as we take communion, I want to ask you this. Do you treat people in a way that reflects in even a slight degree how God has treated you? Can I tell you, what is communion about? Communion is about doing this in remembrance of me. This is to be a time where we're supposed to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. You're supposed to remember it in a special way. You're supposed to remember that His body was broken for you. You're supposed to remember that His blood was shed for you. You're supposed to remember that, that God demonstrates His love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And may it be that the devil would just get out of this room tonight and our own, our own flesh, which gets so casual with the atoning work of Christ, be, be thrown off. And there would be a special, a special delight for Christians to say, Oh, Jesus Christ! What a, what a wonderful thing it is to remember you tonight. And we're setting aside these next few moments to meditate and to think and to remember what it is that you have done for us. You know, one of the best ways to do that is by way of testimony. And in regards to testimony, um, I, I, one that I absolutely love, and, and those that have a long time with this church can remember this, but the, the poem Jehovah Sid Canoe, it's the Lord Our Righteousness. This is the poem by Robert R. McShane, the watchword of the Reformers. You may not be able to see that if you're on the sides, but can I tell you, this is Robert Murray McShane. He died at the age of 29. This is his testimony. And, I, and, and just look at it with me. And I love this. I've got it up on a great big thing on my wall in my office if you ever come in there. Outside of Scripture, this is the greatest piece of literature that has ever been written as far as I'm concerned. And look what it says. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sakinu, that's the name for Jesus Christ, was nothing to me. Now stop and think about this, everybody. Look at the first line. He, he, he was a stranger to grace and to God. That's where we all were. We were all enemies. We were all alienated. We were all far from God. And he didn't, we didn't know our danger just like the average guy tonight. People don't understand the danger they're in without Christ. And though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah's the canoe was nothing to me. Well, notice, I oft read with pleasure to soothe or engage Isaiah's wild measure and John's simple page. But even when they pictured the blood-sprinkled tree, Jehovah's Sakinu seemed nothing to me. This guy read the Bible. He read John and he read Isaiah. 
But he it didn't click. He didn't understand. As they pictured the blood-sprinkled tree when they brought the cross of Christ up, he didn't get it. Still, Jesus Christ was nothing to him. And notice this. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, I wept when the waters went over his soul. Yet thought not that my sin had been nailed to the tree. Jehovah's Kenu was nothing to me. As he read the Bible, he got to the place where Jesus was crucified and he wept. Such an unbelievably unjust thing should happen. But he still wasn't saved. He didn't know his sins were forgiven. But look what happens next. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah's Kenu, my Savior, must be. Now look, all of a sudden, the grace of God awakes him, just like in the song Amazing Grace, the second verse. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." And notice what happened immediately. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came. To drink at the fountain, life-giving and free, Jehovah Sakinu is all things to me. There he knows now that he's saved. Look at Jehovah Sakinu, my Savior, must be. Now Jehovah Sakinu is all things to me. So look at how he now delights in Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing tonight at communion. Look at this. Jehovah Sakinu, my treasure and boast. Jehovah Sakinu, I ne'er can be lost. In thee I shall conquer by flood and by field my cable, my anchor, my breastplate and shield. He's everything to me. Even treading the valley, the shadow of death, this watcher shall rally my faltering breath. For while from life's fever my God sets me free, Jehovah Sakinu, my death song shall be. Now, do you all know the song on page 66? It's called To God Be the Glory. Do you all know that one? You all know To God Be the Glory. Okay. Rich tells me, and I'm trusting my brother Rich here tonight, that that's an 11-11 time is what this poem is, and we can sing this poem to To God Be the Glory. Now, we don't want to sing the chorus, so after we sing the verse, we'll go back. So let's stand and sing, in preparation for communion, all seven verses of this, To God Be the Glory. Okay? And if somehow I'm messing up on this, Don, you just save us, all right? Here we go. Maybe seated as the ushers come forward to help pass out the the elders come forward, excuse me. Elders come forward to help out. I would just wonder this as Steve wants you to get ready to help him prepare it out. But I'd like to challenge you with this. Is there somebody here tonight? And I'm not gonna make you raise your hand or, or make you embarrassed, but but are you here tonight and, and you don't know Jesus Christ the way this guy just wrote about it? You don't know your sins are forgiven. And can I encourage you that you should not take of communion unless you're a Christian, unless you know your sins are forgiven. But could I tell you this? You could become a Christian simply by believing in Christ right now. And if there is a desire in your heart, and your heart is, is heavy, and there's a desire there because you say, I, I, I want to know for sure my sins are forgiven. I want to love Jesus Christ. I, I, I was sort of like this guy. I, I've heard about it, and I've read about it, but I've never seen what everyone's so excited about. And I would encourage you during this time of meditation, and the rest of you, you'll be meditating and giving thanks and praise to God for Jesus Christ and what He has done. But those that don't know Christ, could I ask you to receive Christ tonight? He will accept you. All that come to me, I will no wise cast out. And I am sure that there are people in this room tonight that don't know Christ. And I would encourage you to become a Christian. All right? That concludes today's message from the Expository Word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.